Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Jeez! Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil! You don't know the power of the dark side. Or shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can find All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around and think up that happiest thought. And let's fly away to Neverland. I am, of course, Head Lost Boy, Jeremy, also called The Spider Pan, and you too can have a Lost Boy nickname or a Pixie nickname because girls are too clever, they don't get lost. But you can go to our website, NeverlandPodcast.com, and sign up on our Neverlanders page and become an official Lost Boy or Pixie. You can also find links here, even in the show notes, for our Instagram, our YouTube, our Facebook. Uh, we're everywhere. Uh, we have a Twitter account. You can find it all there on our website, so you can come and check it out and hang with us and interact. I even have a Discord channel for you to interact with there. I'm still working on getting the Discord to be a little bit more active than it is. Mostly I've been using Discord to play some games with some friends on uh, Friday and Saturday nights. But you can come in there, and uh, we, we need to get that active. I would like to do a lot more with Discord. It would be great. Uh, but we've got a lot of show for you today, and it is just me. I'm flying solo today. Eric had a business meeting of some sort, and he had to fly, I think, to Utah. So he will be back at some point. I just don't know when. Hopefully it's going to be next week. He's just got so much stuff going on. But I am still here for you. I am here to bring you movie reviews, a little bit of Disney news, and an update on the Kitten Saga. Yes, for those of you that listened to last week's show, you know that we have rescued and abandoned kitten which i believe has now hit that six week mark where she's supposed to be safe enough to where she could leave her mother but uh, we do have some health conditions we're dealing with uh, we had to leave a stool sample with the veterinarian that they wanted to check to make sure uh, that she didn't have worms or anything and they did find a parasite that is common among a litter of cats where you know cats might step kind of uh in some mess we'll just call it that but then you know how cats will lick their paws and clean themselves well then they ingest that parasite and that it'll keep cycling through their system so that's kind of been a problem so we're we're having a treater for that we're having to scoop out the the litter box a little bit more often and make sure she doesn't step on anything make sure she doesn't re-ingest so uh, she's in the middle of treatment for that actually i guess she's she's completed that treatment but we're still having to crush some pills for the uh, cat herpes to try to fight off any inflammation that might still be going on although she looks a lot better the conjunctivitis is completely gone she's gotten frisky and fun uh, i did post some video to the instagram account which is kind of my personal instagram account but it's under the name of the spider pan and you can see that uh, we brought her out to the couch and she was all playful and frisky and doing a lot of kitten things of trying to be like i'm big i'm big look at me and arch to the back that kind of thing and they walk sideways and stuff uh so she's starting to act like a normal healthy kitten 
which uh, so I think we're waiting to try to get more introduction going after she's a hundred percent because we're still you know giving her a little bit of these pills in her food. Uh, which, on another front on that, we are starting to give her a bit more of a solid kitten food instead of just the uh, the milk, which we have learned, and part of the reason that she might have been having some uh, the diarrhea issues is the milk product that we were giving her before actually had skim milk in it. Cats are lactose intolerant. It is a myth that cats are supposed to be, oh, give them milk. No, that is extremely unhealthy for a cat. And to have, I think it was Hearts was the, who put out this stuff. It had skim milk in it, and it was actually causing diarrhea. We found a powder uh, formula, and we've been giving her that. And, you know, we mixed in some regular food, and now she's got solid stools <laughs> there's no way or other way around saying it so i'm sorry but she's you know so she's everything's healthier and she's making it to the litter box all the time now so she's doing fine uh but she is getting kind of frisky and hard to handle i have actually i tried to put a baby gate you know or safety gate up to try to keep her in the bathroom because she can't really come out yet uh on her own we're kind of being careful about that because of the adult cat plus we want to make sure she's perfectly healthy before we allow too much interaction uh, the baby gate didn't really work out, so I ended up just, I took that back to Target, and I got, they were unloading a truck, and I got a, a cardboard box, and I flattened it out, and I put it up there, pinned it up against the wall, and now we have to climb in and out of the bathroom uh, every time we want to go in there, but we're keeping the kitten in there. The only thing that's a, the struggle is, I mentioned last week, we have one room that's the two sinks of the bathroom, and then there's another doorway that goes in where the toilet and the shower and, and bathtub is. And the kitten keeps wanting to come into the toilet area. Uh, and mainly when we're trying to leave it, she wants to go running in there. And we don't want to just leave her in there. Uh, so we try to, you know, get her and put her back out into the main area. And she's getting where she's fast. Um, other things that have been happening is when I did have the baby gate up and uh, the adult cat was able to come around and see the kitten, we did have some more hissing going on. Uh, we've also had, you know, we've let the kitten come and play on the couch. The adult cat will come up and sniff and sniff and sniff and then hiss. Uh, the only nice interaction I guess we had is one time when the kitten got loose from the bathroom before I had gotten the uh, the cardboard in place. Uh, she took off down across the living room and ran right past the adult cat who just watched her go by, didn't hiss at her. So uh, there's there's potential that this is eventually going to work out uh, i did talk to some people that have told me that it's usually it, take, it can take up to six months to get your cats to get along but we are letting the kitten kind of run around i even had a day that i let the kitten run around the living room explore in the kitchen and kind of get her scent around and once we put the kitten back into the bathroom the adult cat came down from her perch and sniffed around everywhere that the kitten had gone you know, so, but that's the thing. You you got to mix the smell in a little bit and get the the cat comfortable with the idea that okay, there's another cat around here. And we were hoping the fact that one of them was a kitten would get into the mother instincts of our adult cat. Uh, that hasn't worked because she's not her kitten. So that is the update on the kitten saga. It's still going on, and I am trying to post some photos, an occasional video of this for anyone interested, or if you happen to like cats. If you don't like cats, you've been completely bored through the last, uh, like, what, three minutes of this show. But it is time to move on. I've got some movies to review, and you know what? Donald Duck has turned to 85, so the first topic I'm going to turn to is going to be that. But first, a, a few quick news updates. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. So the first thing that I want to get into, and I've had this posted to our Facebook page for a very long time, but I haven't said anything about it. The Muppet Movie, the old classic, is coming back to theaters. This is going to be an event through Fathom Events. Uh, of course, the Jim Henson Company is involved, and Universal Pictures, who did release the film originally, and there are people who have been wondering, but I thought Disney owned all the rights to the Muppets. And yeah, well, they own the rights to the Muppets with anything that they've made new, but Universal still had the release rights of the film. Uh, sort of like when they, they acquired Lucasfilm, 21st Century Fox, or 20th Century Fox still, had the release rights to Star Wars films. 
of at least anything that had already previously been made and they had the release rights to. The new films, like The Force Awakens, didn't have the 20th Century Fox logo on it. But, of course, now that's resolved. They own the company. So I still hope to see the original versions of the original films come out on Blu-ray, digital, that kind of thing. Well, I'm hoping. So, But that's how that works. Universal still owns the rights to the film. So they're the ones involved in this. But July 25th and July 30th, 12.30 p.m. and 7 p.m. your local time, about 700 movie theaters nationwide are going to be showing this The Muppet Movie on a big screen, which I've never gotten to see it on a big screen, so I'm actually pretty excited. I definitely want to go and check this out on a big screen just because I didn't get to. <laughs> so that is my plan, all right? Now, some other interesting things that were going on is... The Disneyland Forever Fireworks has returned out to the Disneyland Parks. So this this was something they debuted during the 60th anniversary and the Diamond Celebration. It's got pyrotechnics, it's got projections, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the uh, there's photos on the Disney Parks blog that even show to remind you of how they projected stuff along Main Street, all along the buildings, and it's just a fantastic thing. Uh, but it is back. It might be for a limited time. So, basically, if you're going to Disneyland, you might want to make sure you hurry and get there and check it out before it's gone. Some other interesting things going on. The Disney Cruise Line has celebrated World Oceans Day, which is actually was on Saturday. And so, they're, they're talking about some of the different things that, the, that they're trying to help restore the coral reefs through some of the programs with the Disney Cruise Line. Uh, Disney has been, you know, putting a lot of money into a lot of environmental type of things and conservation and stuff like that. I'm sure Walt would be quite pleased with this. But uh, they have been working on this with the Disney Conservation Fund. And it's a multi-year project rehabilitating the coral reefs in the Bahamas. Uh, so that's pretty cool that they've been working on that. And there's some video on the Disney Parks blog. But they've provided over $13 million to marine conservation programs expanding the, across the oceans. I mean, around the world, around the globe. Uh, with more than 70 grants to help protect the coral reefs. So that's actually pretty cool. Now there's a new show going on at Disney's California Adventure Park called Tale of the Lion King. And this is a new outdoor musical production, brand new, and it's uh, just debuted this past week. And it leaves a troupe of 18 performers that are basically storytellers, and they're telling the Pride Land story. And it's a bit of an adaptation of the Lion King story. And of course, this is right in time for the uh, quote-unquote live-action version of the Lion King to come out very soon. Uh, but I believe what's coming next on the slate isn't next weekend Toy Story 4? Which, there have been some early reviews of Toy Story 4. They've, I don't know where they screened this, but some reviews have been popping up online, and they're generally pretty favorable. So that's encouraging, because uh, I'm my wife is not really down with it yet. She's kind of iffy about going. Personally, I'm I'm interested. I want to go. I want to see what they've done. I do love this Toy Story franchise. Maybe it should have ended at three, but people are saying that, oh, this has a great emotional ending, which is pretty much what we already knew because Tim Allen's even said that, that it has a very emotional ending. Uh, I I have my suspicions of what that emotional ending may be because it almost seems like part of the trailers is like wooing Woody away from being the typical toy life to go and live a free life with Bo Peep or something, which... To me, it sort of contradicts the theme of the last few movies, especially the second one, that a toy is only really, in, you know, when he's being loved by a child, he's only really alive, you know, uh, and not being out on display. Of course, this wouldn't be out on display. This would be out roaming free, apparently. So I'm not sure where they're going with this, <laughs> but they've been talking about that. Other news that uh, I want to get into is E3, of course, has been going on this week. That is the Electronic Entertainment Expo. And the only thing I really was worried about was Star Wars Fallen Jedi. I'm sure there's some other things maybe popped around that I'd be interested in. But I want to talk about this gameplay trailer that EA showed. And you can find this online. Uh, and basically, my first thought was this reminds me a lot of the Force Unleashed games. Which is not a bad thing. But that's what the gameplay seems similar to. Uh, you do have some interesting variety in some of the Force powers. Uh, there seems to be a stasis. Uh, I did find it interesting that uh, although if you played the Super Nintendo Star Wars games, like from Empire Strikes Back, you could heal yourself with the Force. That apparently is not an ability you have, but you can call upon your little droid to give you something to heal yourself with if you take some damage. Uh, but a lot of it... 
I think you could be a little bit sneaky, a little stealthy at times with this. Uh, definitely action-oriented. You can get clever with the ways that you defeat stormtroopers with the Force. And there are bits where you're going to have to kind of duel a little bit. Uh, they showed a couple of, uh, like, purge troopers. Uh, would that be the direct term? But they're people going trying to wipe out the Jedi. Uh, and you have to fight a couple of them that, you know, uh, at least in the demo that we saw. We only saw one area. And in this demo, you're actually working with Saul Guerrera. Which is very very cool. I couldn't tell if they who they got to voice Saw Gerrera if it was um, um, the actor from Rogue One, and I cannot think of his name all of a sudden, uh, or if it might have been the actor who voiced him in the Clone Wars or in Rebels. I couldn't tell, but it's very very cool. You know, you're getting to involved with Saul Gerrera and his early resistance to the Empire. So that's only one little bit we know about the storyline. Other than trying to maybe rebuild the Jedi, but you've got a lot of different force powers I saw displayed in this demo, and I'm I'm excited. <laughs> it looks very very cool, uh, so we at least we'll say that much. But uh, that's pretty much all I really wanted to get into with some of the news today. Uh, but I do want to dedicate some time to our favorite duck. <laughs> One guess this who Who never, never starts an argument Who never shows a bit of temperament Who's never wrong but always right Who never dream of starting a fight Who gets stuck with all the bad luck No one but Donald Duck Now Donald Duck first appeared June 9th 1934, in a silly symphony car cartoon called The Wise Little Hen. So he wasn't even the main star. <laughs> but this was actually based on the old fairy tale, The Little Red Hen. And this was the debut, of course, of Donald Duck. And he's dancing to a sailor's hornpipe. Donald and his friend Peter Pig try to avoid work by faking stomach aches until Mrs. Hen teaches them otherwise. Uh, then he, of course, appeared in Orphan's Benefit, which... Uh, it was remade later, like 1941, and they added color to it. So, I don't know if it was fully remade or if they just went and did a Technicolor treatment to it. It says remade in Technicolor when I was looking on it, but Orphan's Benefit, uh, I believe that's the one that has all the miniature Mickeys, you know, the little mice. Uh, then, of course, he had an appearance in The Dog Napper, uh, which was November 17th, 1934. And then the appearance that I always think of for him as beginnings, The Band Concert, where he comes out and pesters Mickey Mouse uh, by playing Turkey in the Straw. And I'm always going to, you know, think of that as being the, the his, well, it's not his first appearance, but that's like the earliest I know him from. Uh, of course, I don't think that was the first Donald Duck cartoon that I saw, but that is like the only... I, I don't think I've seen the black and white Orphan's Benefit or even the Wise Little Hen, which was in color because it was a silly symphony. You've got a lot of appearances during the 30s. There's like four different appearances in 1935, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven appearances in 1936. And it just keeps going up. Uh, and some of them, of course, Mickey's Polo Team, uh, the Orphan's Picnic... Uh, let's see, my moving day. Moving day is a great one. If you've never seen that one, that is uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy uh, being forced out of their home by Pete, and they have to move all their junk out. Uh, and that is that's a lot of fun. And that's where you start to see Donald in the form we see him now. I mean, he's he hasn't really changed much over the years, but you see those early appearances. He's he's a little bit different, more streamlined, and then they when they modernize him, he's a little bit more I don't know feathery looking. And then he pops up in Alpine Climbers. A lot of these, he pops up in Mickey Mouse cartoons. Uh, that's what they call them, is Mickey Mouse cartoons. Uh, Don Donald is another great one from 1937. Magician Mickey, that is a classic one in 1937 where he tries to heckle Mickey Mouse who's doing all these card tricks. And at one point, uh, even Mickey makes cards come out of Donald's mouth as he's throwing a tantrum. Uh, the Moose Hunters since, since 1937. Hawaiian Holiday. The Clock Cleaners. And uh, then another great one, Donald's Ostrich. Donald's Ostrich, that's where Donald, uh, he's like working uh, as like a... A porter, I believe, at a train station, and somebody uh, packs an ostrich, and he's got to deal with it, trying to get it back into its case. But also in 1937, you see Donald Duck appearing in Lonesome Ghosts. I don't think I have to say a whole lot about that one. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Now, I'm not mentioning every single Donald Duck cartoon. I'm just kind of hitting a few highlights and some ones that I remember. Uh, there's Self-Control... In 1938, The Boat Builders, that was actually released on a uh, Mickey Mouse collection here very recently. Uh, so simple, even a child can do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Donald's Nephews, this is the first appearance, April 15th, 1938, of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Then also 1938, another one of my favorites, Mickey's Trailer, also finds Donald Luck on board. 
Uh, moving along, uh, I, yeah, I think a lot of the other ones in 1938, I don't remember if I've seen them. Some of these I used to remember watching. Uh, did you ever watch the old classic Disney Channel? If you're around my age, you'd probably remember it when you had to pay for it separately. And they had a show called Donald Duck Presents. Now, Donald Duck Presents, I don't remember that they would show even the titles of cartoons, but when you're a kid, you didn't even pay attention to the titles of Looney Tunes or anything. So some of these you only remember uh, basically from, you know, you, you'd see it, you'd know it, but you wouldn't necessarily know the title of the one. Although some of these you would remember, like 1940s, Donald's Dog Laundry, laundry he, where he's made this weird, goofy machine, and he's trying to give Pluto a bath and a bunch of, you know, trying to conveyor belt a bunch of dogs. Uh, through a lot of different uh, things to clean them. Uh, he also appears in Tugboat Mickey. There's another good one. Oh, and then Mr. Duck Steps Out, June 7th, 1940, the first appearance of Daisy Duck. So Daisy Duck is actually celebrating her birthday this past week as well. That would have been Friday. So that's very cool. So from 1940 to now, that'd be what? No, I don't want to add it up. Like 70-something years, I believe. No, probably more than that. I'm sorry. I'm not good at math, and I'm just trying to go through it. Uh, let's see... Moving along, 1941, uh, Truant Officer Donald. I think I do recall that one. Uh, then this is also where Orphan's Benefit is re-released in color. Old Mac, Donald Duck, Donald's Camera. No, Donald's Camera is a great one. Uh, 1942, going through this list, there's Mickey's Birthday Party. That's a fun one. Donald's Snow Fight, though, is in 1942. That is a great one with him, Huey, Louie, and Louie, and uh, gets into a snowball fight with them. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think that's even the one where they have the hockey game in there as well. Uh, there's there's a lot of the ones in winter time with Donald that are a lot of fun. Uh, this is also where you get Donald gets drafted, which was on May first, nineteen forty two. Uh, that was almost um, a propaganda piece in a way. That's a really fun one, but definitely a, a propaganda one is De Fuhrer's face, January first, nineteen forty three, and this one won an Oscar. Donald Duck actually was in a lot of these where they were kind of making fun of Nazis, especially this one, Defuhrer's Face. There's even a song, uh, Spike Jones has re even redone that song. If you don't know who Spike Jones is, uh, definitely Google him. He does a lot of good, funny stuff and used a lot of funny instrumentation in his songs. He would take a song. He was he was Weird Al before Weird Al was Weird Al, you know? <laughs> Except for he would use the lyrics, the original lyrics to a song, but he would cornball them a little bit and make them funny and add extra sound effects and you know maybe do a literal interpretation of some of the lyrics uh and and add a few extra things uh, just funny he would put all these things together with his group a lot of fun stuff but anyway so spike jones did defuhrer's face as well uh but he did a lot of world war ii propaganda films and then of course in 1943 is also you have some segments from saludos amigos with donald uh, my goodness, there are a lot of different things. 1944, Donald Duck and the Gorilla. That's a great one. If you haven't seen that one, that is where uh, this is where people were really terrified of gorillas. Uh, and they have a gorilla that escapes from the zoo, and the, the nephews decide to prank Donald to make him think that uh, the gorilla's gotten loose and they're wearing this gorilla suit. 
And, of course, the real gorilla does show up, and after Donald is wise to his nephews playing the trick on him, he goes after and tries to rip the costume off of, whoops, the real gorilla! Uh, this is also, it's supposed to be, like, a scary one, but it's it's just fun. Uh, you also have Commando Duck in 1944, another one of the propaganda ones. Uh, the Three Caballeros comes out in 1945. Uh, Duck Pimples, that one sounds familiar. Uh, there, but there's so many different things. 1946, you even have some more. 1947, uh, lots of years. But here, here's kind of the thing. Mickey and the Beanstalk, by the way, 1947. Uh, blame it on the Samba, part of Melody Time in 1948. Uh, lots of, oh my gosh, a lot of things. I'm, I'm going through a list, basically, of all these different ones. But they all come to a stop around, let's see, we're still going on through the 50s. They kind of stopped around the 1960s, and we had like 10 years of nothing. And then suddenly, 1980s, we get Mickey's Christmas Carol and also an appearance in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's two appearances in the 80s. And of course, the 1990s, The Prince and the Popper, a goofy movie, and also that Noah's Ark segment of Fantasia 2000. And of course, now appearing in Mickey's Philhar Magic. Oh, but one thing I definitely do not want to miss out on, 1959, Donald and Math Magic Land. I remember watching that in school frequently. Uh, so much fun. Oh, and 1955 is even when you have... I'm going backwards a little bit. Not, no hunting and barely asleep. BZ Bear. These are where Donald is playing the... Um, well, sometimes he's like a, a hunter, I think. Uh, he, there was one time he was had a little lodge and a bear kept trying to get into uh, get warm. But I think Donald even plays the uh, park ranger trying to deal with some of the bears. And they introduced that uh, Humphrey the Bear at that time. But, I mean, there's been so many great Donald Duck cartoons. And so now he's been around 85 years, if you can believe it. My goodness. Uh, so, yeah, so a salute to Donald Duck. Happy birthday to our favorite duck. This is your Neverland story time. You can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. This is a Disneyland original little long playing record, and I am your story reader. I am going to begin now to read the story of Mickey and the Beanstalk. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when Tinkerbell rings her little bells like this. Let's begin now. Happy Valley is an enchanted land. Everyone who lives there, including Mickey, Donald and Goofy, are held under a wonderful spell cast by the singing harp. The golden harp lives in a castle in the mountains, just above the valley. She has a beautiful singing voice. One day, a mysterious shadow crept over the valley, and something dreadful happened. When the shadow lifted, the golden harp was gone. The valley was no longer a happy place. The crops died and the cows stopped giving milk. All of the families were hungry, including Mickey, Donald and Goofy. It was decided that Mickey would take their cow into town and exchange her for some food. Mickey, however, exchanged the cow for some magic beans and brought them home to Donald and Goofy. Donald became so angry, he threw the beans across the room, and one bean fell through a crack in the floor. That night, as the boys slept, a strange thing happened. A vine began to grow from the bean that had fallen through the floor. It grew very quickly, and as it grew, it lifted the tiny house into the air. All night long, the beanstalk grew, lifting Mickey, Donald and Goofy higher and higher. When they woke up in the morning, they were in a land above the clouds. Directly in front of them stood a giant castle. They knocked on the massive door, but no one answered. So they crawled under and found themselves in a grand hall. 
Goofy made an exciting discovery. Food! They were about to eat when a gentle voice asked, Who's there? Who's out there? Look! It's the singing harp! cried Nicky. She's locked in that cage! How did you get here? asked Goofy. The wicked giant kidnapped me, said the harp. He's very big and very nasty. Quick, hide, here he comes. Mickey, Donald and Goofy hid behind some dishes on the table. The giant went to the table to eat and found the hiding trio. He caught all three and put them into the cage with the magic harp. Mickey, however, was just able to slip out of the cage before the giant closed the gate. They decided the best way to escape would be to have the harp sing the giant to sleep. So she sang a lullaby, and in no time the giant was snoring. Mickey carefully lowered himself into the giant's pocket, got the key and climbed back out. He crawled up the giant's shirt, onto the table, and released his friends from the cage. Donald, Goofy and the harp started to run towards the castle gate. But Mickey decided to tie the giant's shoelaces together, just in case he tried to chase them. In doing so, Mickey woke the giant, and the chase began. Donald, Goofy and the harp got to the beanstalk and were on their way down. But Mickey was really in trouble. The giant swung a club and barely missed Mickey, who was running as fast as he could towards the beanstalk. Mickey managed to get to the stalk ahead of the giant and quickly began to climb down. Donald and Goofy, now on the ground, began to chop down the beanstalk. Hurry, they called to Mickey. The stalk's beginning to fall. Here I am, said Mickey. Let it fall. There was a crash, and that was the end of the giant. The singing harp returned to her castle in the mountains, and Mickey, Donald and Goofy returned to their home in what was once again a happy valley. My, what a happy day Let the bells ring out, let your heart sing out What a scrumptious day What a very special day Hear the music play Songs are in the air, love is everywhere When you feel this way You've got an invitation to join the celebration The biggest in creation Can't you see the world's my oyster? Why do I feel this way? Cause a boy I know in a moonlight glow Gave the big okay, said to name the day What a great big gorgeous, sumptuous, thumping, bumptious Hungalumptious, wondrous, scrumptious My, what a happy day Fee, fi, fo, fum. Fee, fi, fo, fum. Fee, fi, fo, fum. Fee, hi, ho, hum. I'm the most amazing guy, the most amazing guy am I. Fee, fi, fo, fum. Fee, hi, ho, hum. I'm the stuff I'm telling you, but here's what I can do. I can change myself into an elf. Fly up high like the birdies, I can disappear into atmosphere. Peek-a-boo, cause I know the magic wordies. Fee-fi-fo-foy, fee-fee-fee-fee. Fee-fee, I don't know no fee-fee. Thank you. 
Everyone is so delightful. No one's mean or spiteful. Thank you. 
1401, you are cleared for departure. 1401? That's us? We can't take off. The captain isn't on board. Auto takeoff sequence initiated. Uh, no. Um, excuse me. You don't seem to understand. I am not the captain. I am C-3PO. 1401, cleared for takeoff. Contact departure on frequency 429. Wait! Wait! R2-D2, I am not programmed to fly these things. Now just... Turn us around this instant before we get into trouble. I knew it! Don't shoot! Prepare to be boarded, Captain. I'm afraid there's been a terrible mistake. I am seeing. We know you have this rebel spy on you. I've never seen that human before.
Deliver them safely to the rendezvous point I am transmitting to your R2 unit. Good luck, and may the Force be with you. R2-D2, what are you saying? This is madness! Star Tours. Bye-bye. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. All right, I want to begin this movie review with a little bit of background on uh, the well, the Phoenix Saga, mainly dealing with the the Dark Phoenix Saga. But I've I've dug up a lot of history. Some of this is something that Marvel has retconned. They frequently they'll do that. They'll go back and change something in the past to kind of give background to a story they want to tell now and so they'll go and alter a few things and so the histories I've found really take into account that things have been altered here and there uh, but 20th Century Fox or now 21st Century Fox just released The Dark Phoenix and in their press kit it says this is the story of one of the X-Men's most beloved characters Jean Grey as she evolves into the iconic Dark Phoenix during a life-threatening rescue mission in space Jean is hit by a cosmic force that transforms her into the most powerful mutants of all. Wrestling with his increasingly unstable power, as well as her own personal demons, Jean spirals out of control, tearing the X-Men family apart and threatening to destroy the very fabric of our planet. The film is the most intense and emotional X-Men movie ever made. It is the culmination of 20 years of X-Men movies. Holy cow, 20 years? Really? As the family of mutants that we've come to know and love must face their most devastating enemy yet, one of their own. And I will say... That is only part of this movie. There is a lot more going on than just her. There is some other characters, some other motivations that uh, I will touch on, but I want to be very, very careful because I don't really want to spoil anything if you have not gone. And it has been re receiving, you know, the critics, of course, are, are not being friendly. Uh, fans are mostly favorable. It's it's a little bit, you know, it's more than 50-50. It's, you know, more favorable than it is unfavorable. I think some people wanted a more direct adaptation of the comics story, which that was done really in the 90s very well by the 90s animated series of the X-Men. They did a great job of just adapting the story. 
Uh, and this one, it wants to tell the story, but they, they don't want to tell it the same way. But there are several nods to the comic book origins, which I'll get into later. But I want to get into and tell you a little bit about some of the character history uh, of Jean Grey. Uh, Jean Elaine Grey, she's born the second daughter of John and Elaine Grey, had an older sister, Sarah Grey Bailey. John Grey, her father, was a professor at Barda College in upstate New York. Now, uh, she has telepathy and telekinesis, and that's the, those are her powers as a mutant. They first manif manifested when her best friend was hit by a car and killed. There is a nod to this in the film. At the very beginning, we do see a car accident, so I, I did appreciate that. Uh, this event kind of left Jean comatose, and she's brought back to consciousness with some help from Charles Xavier. But Xavier does block her telepathy until she's old enough to be able to control it, and he knows how rough it can be to control. So he blocks it. There is a bit of a nod to that in the film as well. Uh, but she later becomes part of the X-Men known as Marvel Girl. She's the first only female member back when the X-Men first got started. And she mainly, she's very strong telekinetically, and she slowly starts to get those telepathic powers that she has. This is also where she first meets Cyclops in the original issue of X-Men. They begin a nice relationship, and I've always been a big fan of them. I, I've, Cyclops and Jean Grey has always been my thing, and then Wolverine shows up and gets in the way. Because uh, she does have a bit of an attraction, because you know, Jean has a little bit of a dark side that some you know, kind of likes that about Wolverine. But let's face it, Wolverine is a short, ugly guy. I mean... But for some reason, they treat him like he's James Bond going through. And he, you know, he's supposed to have great feelings or whatever for Jean Grey. But you look at his history in the comics, and he's kind of a little bit of a womanizer, which I don't understand how that works, because he's short, hairy, ugly, and, and grumpy. <laughs> All right? So it doesn't, it's never made sense to me. Uh, but the Phoenix Force then suddenly showed up. Uh, this is their emergency mission in space. The X-Men find their shuttle has been damaged. So it's the shuttle they're in that's damaged. The movie, uh, they do have a damaged shuttle, but it's not one they're in. It's their astronauts are in that, and you've probably seen that in the trailer. Jean pilots the shuttle back to Earth, but she gets exposed to fatal levels of radiation. It's like basically like a solar flare. Uh, but she saves her friends, and she calls out for help and is answered by a cosmic entity called the Phoenix Force. The Phoenix Force is the sum of all life in the universe, and it's moved by Jean's dedication and love for her friends, basically, and takes the form of a duplicate body to house Jean's psyche. Now, the duplicate body thing came along later, when they wanted to bring Jean back from this. Uh, but uh, during the time, it was Jean and her body, but uh, in that instant, the Phoenix Force is just overwhelmed and believes itself to be Jean Grey and places Jean's dying body in a healing cocoon. Like I said, this is stuff that's going to come up later. This is how they brought Jean back at the end of all of this. Uh, and this cocoon was later described as a phoenix egg. But anyway, so the ship crashes in Jamaica Bay. The other X-Men are fine. They're all unharmed. And the Phoenix Force, as Jean Grey, emerges in a new green and gold costume and adopts the new codename Phoenix with immense cosmic powers. And meanwhile, the cocoon containing the real Jean Grey sinks to the bottom of the bay unnoticed. Phoenix continues her life as Jean Grey and the other X-Men joining them on missions and saving the universe. Now, part of Jean's consciousness is in the body. I mean, Jean is still there. And that's going to come up later, and Phoenix is still in the body. This is how it does in the comics, not in the film. Uh, it's The film's similar, but... Um, so, during the Dark Phoenix saga now, the Phoenix becomes overwhelmed and corrupted by her first taste of evil and transforms into a force of total destruction called Dark Phoenix. Inadvertently killing the inhabitants of a planetary system after consuming its star and jeopardizing the entire universe. However, Jean's personality manages to take control and Phoenix commits suicide to ensure the universe's safety. Now, I want to get a little bit more detail of that, but uh, Marvel put out a, uh, they call them TLDR, and I still, I, I'll never remember what TLDR means, uh, but they, they have a retelling of the story. So let me just switch over to them and let you hear the audio of the, of the video they have out on YouTube. Now, here's where it gets a little complicated. So upon, of course, it's suicide of a disintegration ray that's on the dark side of the moon where they're fighting with the Imperial Guard there of the Shi'ar Empire. The Phoenix Force disperses into its original form, and a fragment locates the still-healing gene at the bottom of Jamaica Bay. In trying to bond with her, Jean senses its memories of death and destruction as Dark Phoenix, and she rejects it, causing it to bond with an animate and animate a lifeless clone of Jean Grey created by the villain Mr. Sinister. Some of you might remember him from the 90s cartoon. Uh, they did allude to Mr. Sinister at, uh, at an end credit scene, uh, I believe in X-Men Apocalypse. 
They did allude to him at the very end, but I don't think that's ever going to happen unless the Marvel Cinematic Universe picks up and decides to use Mr. Sinister at some time. But he does a lot of genetic manipulation, and he's very obsessed with Cyclops and Jean Grey and their genetic code. Uh, so Sinister created the clone to mate with Cyclops to create genetically superior, genetically superior mutants. Named Madeline Pryor, the unaware clone meets Cyclops in a situation engineered by Sinister, and the two fall in love, marry, and have a child, Nathan Christopher Summers. For most of you, you might know him as Cable. Some of you didn't know that that was Cable, but that's Cable. Uh, he appeared in the second Deadpool movie. Meanwhile, you know, the funny thing is, though, he was played by Thanos himself, Josh Brolin. That's fun. Anyways, but meanwhile, the cocoon is discovered and retrieved by the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, so Gene emerges from that cocoon with no memory of the actions of the Phoenix or Dark Phoenix, which is weird. Uh, the Avengers and Fantastic Four tell her of what happened and that she believe she was believed dead until now. She is reunited with the original X-Men and convinces them to form the new superhero team X-Factor, reusing her Marvel Girl codename. Now, X-Factor is a government-funded group of mutants, and it's the original team. That was the first X-Factor, which I would like to, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe would be kind of cool if they ever get that direction. Now, the interesting thing is the movie makes a nod towards this as well, right? So, another good nod to the comics. But anyways, Gene learns the Cyclops has romantically moved on with Madeline, who is angered over his decision to lead X-Factor and neglect his family. So, yeah, Madeline's mad. Uh, Gene is mad because of with Madeline. Because, and Madeline's mad because he's gone off with X-Factor. Gene is mad because he's went out with Madeline. But Gene was supposed to have been dead. And the weird thing is Madeline is... She's a clone of Gene. It's like the exact same... She's almost the same. So it's very weird. And of course now we're dealing with a Gene who doesn't have the memories of all the time, you know, as Phoenix. Because she was around with the X-Men as Phoenix for a good long time. So there's a lot of memories of uh, that she doesn't have. So it's very strange. Um... But moving on, though Gene encourages Cyclops to return to Madeline, he finds their house abandoned and assumes that Madeline has left him and taken their infant son. Cyclops returns to X-Factor and he and Gene continue their relationship. The team's adventures continued throughout the series, culminating in the, the line-wide Inferno crossover, which I have not gotten to read. I, I would like to read it. I've read most of it. I think I've checked out a library, some collections that had some of the story. But uh, Madeline eventually resurfaces, now nearly insane and with powers awakened by a demonic pact, calling herself the Goblin Queen. And that is the Inferno. Uh, so you do get it later on. Well, I guess we'll jump to it. Uh, we'll get to it. But in some comics, I'm just, I'm just going to skip ahead instead of reading through all of this. But... You know, like in the 90s, when uh, this is when I most of the comics I have of X Men are, are mainly from the 90s, but uh, they do, you know, Gina Scott did get married, and uh, through like this really weird time warp thing, they, they were sent off to the future because uh, Cable, as a baby, had to be sent to the future because he had like a, I think it was he had like some sort of disease, but he had to be given to somebody in the future to be able to take care of him and raise him in the future. And he, he grows up in a world where Apocalypse is sort of ruling the world. Scott and Gene get in a weird time warp and get an opportunity to be the ones to raise him in that world. And it's a very, very weird thing. I've got that entire series with uh, the wedding. Uh, there's some other things that happen with the X-Men after that. There's Onslaught, which was like a weird psychic projection of all of uh, Professor X's dark feelings or whatever and all his power just unleashed uh they made some changes to new x-men where you know gene has died more than one time uh and she comes back but uh at this at this point of death you know they've got her got scott with the white queen emma frost after gene is supposed to be dead and gene though has basically said oh no you must be with her because she with the phoenix force coming back around she is now she became some sort of like white phoenix and has this weird cosmic role to play, which is very weird. And they even had a, an end song thing where uh, she kind of came back from the dead with some other thing. I've got like one or two issues of that. I, I don't know all of everything that happened there. Um, but it's weird. She goes to what she goes returning to something called the White Hot Room. And before she leaves to go and be this, you know, cosmic entity, Gene and Cyclops share a telepathic emotional farewell. And that was the last we'd seen of the original Gene. But now we've got a time displaced thing going on. And I, I, I've stopped reading X-Men comics. It's gotten to like, I, I lost interest. But they've tried to bring back all the younger versions of the original X-Men from the past and put them in the future, which 
there's your comics Tommy Wimey Wibbly Wobbly kind of thing. Uh, and there's all these different books, but I just I have not gotten myself to want to grab any of them. I'm just not interested in all the weird stuff they've done with the characters uh, since then. I've tried to read some of it, but I don't know something's missing. I have just I, I'm sorry, I just haven't been interested. But so now we land on this film. Now some nods to uh, the the comics. Uh, now you. I'm pretty sure it was mentioned in the storyline, but the Dabari, where uh, the Dark Phoenix goes and consumes a star, wiping out a star system, including the planet where the Dabari are. The nice thing is about this movie is they include the Dabari in there. They are on Earth. And they, because uh, the Dabari, after their planet's destroyed, they become kind of a you know really rotten alien race. Uh, and so they pop up in the film. And that's why, you know, while you have a different focus, other than, you know, the Phoenix... Entity is an important focus of the film. The Dabari are major players in the film, and I appreciated that. That was a nice nod to some of the backstory. Uh, you even get an appearance by Dazzler, who is a major character in the Dark Phoenix saga, uh, even wearing some classic costume. I mean, Dazzler looked just like the way she did back in the day. Uh, so there was a lot of really great nods to the Dark Phoenix saga as it originally appeared, but they were trying to tell a different story, and I found it to be very emotional, very intense. You didn't know... You know what was going on. You understood what Jean was going through as she suddenly she's possessed by this force and she can't control it. And it's unleashing in her brain. There's been some locked up things that there's some anger in there and she lashes out and by accident causes a lot of different problems. But it's about control. And I really liked the theme of where she learns to be able to find some control. And there were some lessons in it. Uh, very Elsa like, I will say. Uh, that I really thought was really good, and I, I've really enjoyed a better interpretation of Cyclops. I didn't like those original X-Men films. They reinvented Cyclops and made him a character I, I didn't like because uh, they wanted to put more attention on Wolverine. Uh, but this one, they treat Cyclops respectfully. Uh, all the characters, I mean, they, the, the characters that they have in the X-Men are characters you you, know, you already love as a fan. You, know, you got Nightcrawler and Storm and Beast, and all of them are given their own little... The, the, a little side story that sometimes it's a short side story, but each one has their own little arc of, you know, there's different ones. Each character is doing things. Each one has motivations for what they do in the film that were very genuine, very real. And I appreciated that. I, every character felt like they had a good arc. Uh, now, I've seen some people who have seen the film that are not critics that said that the felt it was too slow, but it they don't rely upon the action. They rely upon the tension and the storytelling and the emotion of what's going on. And if you try to ignore all that, I guess you would be bored. But uh, it was... I, I was kind of edging my seat. I didn't know how this was going to progress. You know, I was, I was hoping Jean wasn't going to be our final villain, and she wasn't. Uh, but it was... I really, really enjoyed this film. I thought it was good, if not better, than Days of Future Past. And that's the last time I really, really enjoyed an X-Men film. I mean, Apocalypse was okay, but, you know, I've overall, I get, I, I'm usually disappointed uh, in a lot of ways by some of these X-Men films, but I wasn't disappointed in this one at all. I went in kind of like, oh gosh, I hope this isn't terrible. And I really actually enjoyed this film. I thought it was very good, and I was actually a little hopeful that uh, as they're wrapping up this series, that maybe we're going to get some sort of end credit scene that maybe there'll be the Thanos snap, a multiverse that's going to happen that maybe we'd go ahead and let some of the characters spill over. But no, that doesn't happen. There's no reason to stay for an end credits. When the credits start rolling, go ahead and leave the theater. You don't have to stick around. Uh, there, But it's, it wraps up very nicely. Uh, you get to, you know, all your... And I, I mean... The, the cast, I mean, James McAvoy's Professor Xavier and Michael Fassbender as Magneto have been great from the first run of this. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a reboot of the franchise when they did the first class. It was sort of like a reboot, but, you know, they, they did tie it back to the original movies there at one point. So, but they have been great in their roles, and I have really have liked the cast, uh, each in their roles. Uh, and each character really, I thought, got a time to shine and I really appreciated that uh, because I do enjoy all of these characters. So I really enjoyed the movie. So despite whatever the critics are saying, this was fun. This was enjoyable. This was emotional. I really did enjoy the film. So I recommend you go and check it out and form your own opinion. Uh, but as for me, like I said, I liked it because I'm a big fan of Cyclops and Jean. And this, this movie really paid a good tribute to those two characters. But that's going to wrap it up for me, so I will see you next week, and hopefully Eric will be here with us.
Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 